leaders have to be okay with being uncomfortable, and most of them aren't. And the, I teach this methodology of, of ask a question and stop talking. Yes, for so sure. So they can get comfortable being uncomfortable because we want to fill in that, that air. We want to fill in that space. We want to crack a joke. We want to rescue someone. Let it sit. Let them be uncomfortable. Realize you will get them out of it. So, you know, it, that's all about being – so many people get worried about being a good manager when I really would challenge them. How do you become a better leader? Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders, I have an amazing uh, gentleman on the uh, podcast, an amazing leader, a coach, uh, author, CEO, Todd Palmer. And so Todd has just written a book. Uh, it's his second book, and it's From Suck to Success. And uh, he is committed to helping business owners tackle their obstacles and clear their path to success as an entrepreneur and active CEO. He took a business that was 600000 in debt to making the Inc. 5000 as one of America's fastest growing companies and amazing six times. We dug into so many conversations and uh, the, the lessons he's teaching are really, really powerful. And uh, we, we really dug into a lot of mindset topics and, and about getting ourselves right as leaders. I know you're going to love this podcast. Uh, Todd also uh, is uh, providing an offer to all of our listeners and all of our leaders. Sorry. Um, so, and you know what I'm up to is looking for other amazing leaders. You know, at the beginning of COVID, Todd went out and spoke to all sorts of CEOs, just totally free, gave them free coaching. And so that's really what our podcast is, is just something free with the hope that we find amazing people. Uh, we get sent, you, you know, so you could forward this podcast to, to somebody, you know, is an amazing leader and wants to be challenged in Eastern Canada, or you could send them to our website or shoot me an email at cthompson at studentworks.com. So have a fantastic day and enjoy this podcast. Cheers. So, Todd, welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow. Really excited to have you on. Chris, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Well, it's fantastic, and it's a, it's a small world. I know we were talking before the podcast about a whole bunch of the people that we know and shared experiences, which is awesome. And I know you're just going to have so much to contribute to our leaders here on the, on the show. So, so where I always love to start is you know, throw you back in university, you know, uh, you know before, you got, before you got started on your career. You know, who was Todd? You know, what were his frustrations? What, what, was, what was he about at the time? Great question. I don't think anyone's ever asked it quite that way. So when I was actually at university, one, I ended up, at, you know, I did the, the traditional program of the five-year program here in the United States. Right. My first two years of schooling was, was I was scholarshiped for writing of all things. Now, the fact that I've written two books, I guess, shouldn't be ironic, but still sometimes right. to me it is. Yeah. And then I ended up at uh, Eastern Michigan University, a fine Mac school here in the Midwest in Metro Detroit. And I, I did this crazy program. I was very strategic on how I ended up at Eastern Michigan. The girl I was dating at the time went to Eastern Michigan, and so did I. So for for anybody listening, perfect, perfect, you know, yes. Yeah, the despite of lack of planning, you too can can hopefully ascend to a level of success you never thought quite possible. <laughs> so I'm teaching. So I'm I'm at Eastern, and I was in my senior year. And I, my plan was to be, I wanted to teach at the university. I wanted right. a college professor. And I thought I had a leg up because I was teaching back home in Jackson at the community college because I, hmm. I was on a scholarship there. The department seemed to like me. The department thought I had some abilities and skills. So I'm teaching and I'm at Eastern saying, well, I want to become a teacher's assistant. I'll get a TA. I'll, I'll work on my master's degree. I just got married in my senior year of college. Best laid plans of mice and men. I graduate college. I don't get the TA. The marriage goes to, to hell in a handbasket, and I end up as a single dad, all within two years. So when I was in university, I thought I was going to be a successful PhD teaching uh, guru, a long married person for less than 18 months, et cetera. <laughs> so I ended up being a, a broken down entrepreneur, wannabe single dad, selling staffing services in Metro Detroit. 
Okay. Okay. So, so you didn't stay there. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, because life's not what happens to us. Life's what we do with it, right? Oh, life's how we, how we respond. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. so tell us, tell us about that staffing, uh, staffing run in the staffing business. Yeah. Well, I, well, I gotta say, I, I love your message around life is not happening for us, but or happening to us, but for us. For I, us. Yeah. So many stories uh, around that. And, you know, when I, when I look back, I got into the staffing space because my older brother was in staffing. He was out uh, on the East Coast in New York City. And I had just gotten custody of my son and right. realized that halfway through my master's degree, and I'm, I'm not going to, this is not sustainable. The, right. the ship is starting to, you know, as I'm breaking gravity. So I try it and work for a couple of days, really work out and work around a couple of entrepreneurs. I'm thinking, okay, I'm 25 years old. I certainly am smarter than these guys running these companies who've done franchise right. models and like that. So by the time I'm 27, I laid out a business plan, needed $140,000 in startup capital. And you know, when you're a, a recently divorced single dad with really no, no marketable skills, the bank wants to give you plenty of money. So <laughs> banks got shot down by all of them. Yeah. Sitting having lunch with a, a mentor of mine. He goes, uh, he goes, I think your plan's terrible. But I really like you and I believe in you. So the first thing for anybody listening is a lot of times people will give will invest in the individual, not in the plan. Yeah. And he goes, but you got to redo your plan. You're, I mean, your plan is $140,000. Like you are not bankable. Yes. Goes, All right. How much can I have? He goes, I'll give you 20 grand. So I started my business for 20 grand, blew through 14,000 of it. Day 72, you turned a profit. All right. I didn't realize that I'd stumbled into the greatest staffing boom of all time. I didn't realize that I, you know, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Yeah. And that's how I got into it because I realized that I needed to create my own path. I wanted to be um, controlling my time, having some flexibility and freedom or some lies I told myself, not knowing what I was really getting into. Yes. And it was important for me to spend that time with my, my son who was younger, which I did, but I also worked like a madman 80 hours a week and kind of wedged him into those breaks in my day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, so I know, uh, I guess your books from suck to success and you're, you know, so, so I, I, I get how that works. So I, I got the suck part of it and I know, I know yeah. your, your, your business uh, grew and grew and grew and you exited. And so, so wh where do you want to take us? What are some lessons from, from your, from your staffing success and in, in the business success? Well, I, I think when we take the word success and we break it into two parts, suck and excess. <laughs> uh, I yeah. think I'd like, I'd like, I think it's fair to tell your audience that, you know, wasn't always was he right. Yeah. Started my company in 1997, 2006. I am $600,000 in debt and about a 2 million run rate. I'm completely upside down. Wow. Um, I'm so depressed. I'm not getting out of bed to go to work. I'm showing up to my EO form, telling them lies. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to fake it until I make it. My imposter syndrome, I call it my itty bitty shitty committee was screaming at me. And when you're $600,000 in debt, there's 600,000 voices on that committee. Yeah. And I'm about two months away from running out of money. Bank calls the note. And for the first time in my entrepreneurial career, I decided being a rugged individual was no longer working for me. Right. My pride and ego needed to be pushed aside. And I hired a coach. And I heard my older brother, Greg, who'd been in the staffing industry, he's running now. Then by then, he just exited on a $600 million staffing company. Wow. My little $2.5 million you know, dinghy next to his luxury liner. And he came in and, and helped me turn the business around. I walked in on September 9th, 2006, fired my entire company, and I started over. Okay. Pay, within eight years, paid off all the debt, changed the way I hired my internal people, went from hiring for resume to hiring for DNA, not resume, yeah. changed the culture. And we hockey stick that business and grew it to make the Inc. 5,000 six times as one of the fastest growing companies here in the United States. Fantastic. But the, the crazy part about it is when you think about going from suck to success, I still didn't feel successful. Okay. Until I redefined what success meant to me. And I talk about it in the book where it was all mindset stuff. It was the doom loop in my head. You think, you know, as an outsider, I've heard from people, you made the Inc. 5,000 six times. You didn't feel successful. Like, clearly, you've been outside validated. I still had an emptiness within. I still was chasing, going for work. My, my brother and I uh, completed the turnaround. I, started, I hired a different coach, Dr. Danny Freeland out of San Diego. And we started working on the inside out of the entrepreneur, me. Awesome. I, I realized that in order to change exterior world and get the relationships and get the, the businesses that I wanted and the people in my life, I, want, I needed to show up differently. I needed to work on myself. So that's really kind of where I, I feel that for me, that's really where I became more of the successful human being. Yes, I was a successful entrepreneur, but I still felt right. efficient as a human being. 
Right. Well, and, and clearly, you, probably you could point to a lot of problems that you had early in your career was a lot of that dark force, the 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 looping, the the I'm not good enough stuff, and Absolutely. and then again, I'm not going to tell people about my problems. And and you know, one of the one of the biggest challenges of an entrepreneur is. As an entrepreneur, we are 100% responsible. We are always 100% responsible for your life anyhow, but it is very apparent because you own the darn thing. So it's either working or it's not working. You're accountable, you're responsible. So it does take something to admit that it's not going well. And then again, you know, that, but that's the first start because then there's all sorts of coaches around. There's all sorts of resources around to actually get help. Yeah, and I didn't know about any of that. And I talked to a couple of coaches before engaging with Greg and it just wasn't a good fit for a variety of different reasons. Partially, sure. I think the wrong person, but also I, I wasn't ready yet. Yes. You know, it, for me, so much in getting to that coaching relationship is I had to be ready. And for me, I had to hit what I call my entrepreneurial rock bottom, no different than someone with a drug or alcohol problem. I had to yeah. hit bottom and literally yeah. like, I'm going to lose my house. My kids are going to be homeless. That's pretty close to it's close to bottom. Yeah, as I ever thought I'd for get. sure. Yeah. And, and it's entering interesting as I look back on my life. Being a, a rugged individualist, someone who could do a lot of different things like I could do, I could do you know sales and ops and accounting and HR, I could do all that as a rugged individualist. That's great if I wanted to build myself a job, yeah. but I wanted to build a company. And what I found was one of the biggest things I would sabotage is because I love being the chief firefighter, putting out the fires and solving the problems, being the smartest kid in the room is I didn't realize I was also the chief arsonist. So yeah. I would delegate something to Chris and then I would come in and bother you and micromanage you and irritate you and you'd quit. And I'd well, Gives me another problem to solve. Right. Not the best strategy scale of business. So when my coach came and he's like, you got to change your behavior. You got to change your thinking. Yeah. And by the way, you got to change your business. That was something I never heard because I figured, okay, it's got to be an external thing, not an internal thing. And boy, was I wrong. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I, I love the understanding. Again, entrepreneurialism is not about rugged individualism. It's it's about, you know, inspired teamwork, you know, and and and, you know, certainly our business, uh, we've been on the uh, the growth 500 charts for I know, numerous times. And it's all about having an amazing team and having people who have come together to, to work. Uh, and, you know, one enormous thing was when my, my partner joined our business and she had all sorts of skills that really I wasn't really aware of, but just that, that I needed in the business that took us to the next level. We, we were, we were topped out at like around four to 5 million and now we're 18 to 20 and nice. that it wasn't going to happen with me only. Right. Like it's, 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 again, it's like that, but I know one of the things, you know, the, 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 the letting your team go, cause we had Brian Scudamore on our, on our podcast earlier. And he, he went and talked with our leaders just earlier on a summit that we had. And that was an experience that he had. He had, he had recruited the wrong team and, and, it, and, and, you know, his business, you know, sucked. He hated it and he didn't enjoy it. And, you know, uh, so what was that like? How, 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 how tough was that to do in your business? Well, first of all, I give you credit for bringing an expert like Brian in. Brian and I have been in the Gathering of Titans now, gosh, coming up on 20 years. Uh, yeah. He was generous enough to contribute to my book. And his, oh, awesome. book, his book, WTF, is is one of my favorites to, to recommend to people because it, it does require a willingness to fail like Brian talks about. Yes. And, and for me, you know, I'm in the, I feel like I had a double problem because I'm in the, the staffing space. I'm helping companies locate great talent. Yeah. And I couldn't do it for wow. myself. It was like, you know, the shoemakers kids have no shoes kind of thing. <laughs> and and because I kept doing it the old way of looking at um, you know, the resume and the background. And I only want people with experience and right. And that was crazy. What I figured out was I needed to change how I did. That's why I went from hiring for D for resume to hiring for DNA, not resume. Yeah. We came up with a model. And the first thing I recognized, Chris, was I wasn't very good at training people, believe okay. it or not. Yeah. So I, I hired an expert in training, right? Crazy how that works. And the boy, yeah. these people were actually really good because yes. I got the heck out of the way. The bottleneck mm -hmm. for me and my company was me. Okay. I loved it being the CEO. I enjoyed some of the things that came with that, but I also, you know, I'm a visionary. I'm not necessarily, and I can yes. execute under pressure, but when it comes to the day to day, I'm sure like Brian talks about, you know, yeah. we can't get bored. I know Brian brought in his team with Cameron and those guys and yeah. they, he, they helped kind of keep Brian tethered to the ground. You know, entrepreneurs are often the balloons that fly above the earth. We need someone to anchor us. I was no different. Yeah. I, I yeah. got in a culture champion. I let her 
be in charge of running the teams. We created what we called the American Idol round of interviews. Anybody who came to work for us internally had to interview with three of their peers, and then they voted. And I actually interviewed them first because, listen, if I can't stand you, you can't work in my company. Again. Yeah. But your team is going to pick you. And I didn't get a vote. But if they got to the team, then the team got to pick. And they picked some outstanding people. We took people who had strong restaurant backgrounds, strong retail backgrounds, strong medical backgrounds, and turned them into being great recruiters. And because they didn't come in with all the baggage of, well, when I worked at this company as a recruiter or this company as a recruiter, we did it this way. Like, listen, here's our recipe. I I kind of compare it to food because everybody likes to eat, right? You're going to come work for me. I want a Wendy's. And we're all going to make square hamburgers. You want to make a round hamburger. There's a lot of them. I see make them square. People who don't know anybody are like, okay, I'll make you a square burger. No different than how we did our recruiting because we pivoted the model and we became candidate-centric. We took a, a, a sports agent or a Hollywood agent approach to placing blue collar and gray collar talent around the United States. So welders, machinists, people who worked with their hands, who are not used to being treated like rock stars, we're going to treat you like a rock star. And we're going to get you 20% more. We're going to get you on a shift you want. And we're going to get you weekends off. How does that sound? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Wow. And we figured out that because that was where the supply and demand curve bent. There was an increased demand and a diminished supply of these people. I mean, nowadays, I think the average American welder is over 60 years old. So if I got right. like a 32-year-old welder with 10 years of experience, it, it, it's like I have, you know, I got Matthew McConaughey or I got, you know, Wayne Gretzky back in there. You know, I got the next generation of superstar. Yeah. What can I do as an agent? How can I position that person? We would get these guys and gals going out on these you know, multiple interviews, getting multiple offers, and they would like, We've never had this experience from a recruiting company before. That I mean, so that was a big key is, is inversing the model of how we delivered the service too. I just love it. I just love it. And I know in our business as well, we start, we we train everyone and everybody is in all of our leaders have gone through the program, you know, so that they can train the program. And our program is again, we created it. It's a unique process that we have. And that's just uh, so powerful because again, it's, you take somebody from the outside and no, we, we, we want to do it this way. Uh, uh-uh. you know, it's just, it just doesn't, 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 uh, well, I should say it can't work, but, but it's, it's a real concern. So you talk about authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability. I know how's, how's that worked in, and, and, uh, in your business and in your life. Wow. So I call it ATV. And it's funny when I, when I really doubled down on that being authentic, transparent, and vulnerable. It was right after I fired everybody in 2006. So the first yeah. person to come interview with me, her name is Becky. And she comes to this, you know, 3,000 square foot office where there's like one light on my, in my office. There's all these desks around. Nobody's sitting there. And she comes walking. It's probably like three o'clock in the afternoon. So you think it'd be kind of bustling like a beehive, like a recruiting service should be. It has crickets yeah. and there's a guy in the corner. She sits down and we're talking about it. And she goes, where's everybody at? First question, like, hey, nice to meet you. Where, where's everybody at? I said, Let me tell you the truth. I am the only person who currently works here. And I told her my story. My mess became my message. Because if we want people to be vulnerable with us as leaders, this is at least my philosophy, then we need to be vulnerable with them first. Because if we set the bar high, and we talk, I literally talk about the worst day of my life. And so as we progress for the next, you know, 20 years of the business, that's how I was starting every interview with every brand new person. And it kind of became a running joke with my staff, like, okay, here comes the world's worst story again. But that created that vulnerable space. So now, like when I, I'm going next week to speak to a group in EO down in Texas, and the first story I'm going to tell them is the worst day of my life. Right. If I want that room of other experienced, talented, and, and successful leaders to get into the weeds of it and get into the ick of it all, then I need to lead that. No different than when I work with my teams or no different now that I'm coaching my clients. You know, the, my, my best sales process for, my, for getting new coaching clients is to tell the worst story of my life. I literally had a woman come up to me. I, I gave the speech about being $600,000 in debt. She's like, I want to hire you as a coach. Come off stage. Awesome. What did I say that impressed you? I'm only $100,000 in debt. You are much worse off than I am. I need you to help me figure this out. I'm like, oh, okay, we can do that. It's, so that's the, where for me, vulnerability just shows up. And the great thing I found, uh, Chris, about being vulnerable, especially when it's my story, nobody can debate it. You can't debate sure. it. It's my story. It happened yeah. to me. Yeah. And if I own it, I get I get centered around it, I get through it, and I come out on the other side. The mess really does become the message to be of service to others. Yeah. Well, and and also as well as like what we talked about, you know, this is how this happened for you, right? And that yeah. this is this is this turning point became really the success of your career because you know, you built a business, now you're building a coaching and 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 books about it, and then 
offering uh, an offering about this. And, and, and the offering doesn't work without candid truth. Right. It just doesn't. Right. Like, you yeah. know, people, you know, it's like, oh, I know everything I wanted, everything, it, you know, frankly, it really lacks. I, I was reading the other day uh, uh, about, you know, people said uh, someone wrote they don't want to have an autobiography unless the autobiography has some really stinging re re uh, revelations about themselves, revelations yeah. about themselves. Sure. You know, I did this or did that because otherwise, like, come on, give me a break. You know, like that's that's just not true. You know, there's you know, so, yeah. Well, it's, it really is true. I mean, this time last year I was speaking, I was booked to speak on six different stages in three different countries. The model to grow the coach to go speak on stage and to talk to EO and YPO and other entrepreneurs yeah. and, and leadership groups and tell the stories and take them through the processes and teach from stage, which is fun. And goes back to my days when I actually taught at university, like, oh, this is going to be super cool. And I really loved it. Well, within two weeks, all of my stages were wiped out. Like they're all done because nobody's traveling. COVID, COVID shuts yep. everything down for about two days. I was feeling a little sorry for myself. No, no lie. But then sure. I realized, you know, there's got to be a way to to recognize that this is happening for me, not to me. Right. And I doubled down on my my personal core value, and that's improve lives. So we're, a dozen years ago, I worked with Simon Sinek, yep. and I came up with my two words for my why, and that's improve lives. And I thought, you know, I can improve lives from anywhere. And I just I did I started volunteering like. For hours, I did 42 CEO conversations in 67 days, volunteering. Right. And I talked to people in Canada, in the United States, Malaysia, Australia, Europe, and I didn't get a single client out of it. Mm -hmm. Yet my practice has grown 300% March over March, wow. 20 to 21, because those people who I served then told their friends. Right. Some of their friends were looking for coaches. Mm -hmm. Or I, I started working, I, two Canadians, I love the Canadians, a, a guy from Vancouver, Nigel Bennett, a guy from New Brunswick, Andy Biting, the three, the three of us came together and became the three CEOs. And we started talking about tales from the edge because we all have really yeah. heartbreaking and sometimes very stressful stories from the edge about, oh my gosh, how we almost crashed our businesses. And we would go tell those stories to any EO group that would have us for free because yeah. we knew that so many younger, earlier stage entrepreneurs hadn't been through recessions, hadn't been through depression, hadn't been through almost crashing their business like we have. Yeah. And I'm watching the stage or watching the screen one time. And there's a woman in the corner who was in tears as I was telling the story of my imposter syndrome and my, my self-loathing yeah. and how I got out of that and how I now lead a great life, life by design that I'm super happy for and excited about. And she became a client because she goes, you showed up and you were, she, she just said two things. One, she was, oh my God, I didn't think one, a man could be that vulnerable. Love her for that. And yeah. two, she's like, you were you 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 came out of the darkness and into the light, and, and you not, and you had a process to teach people through active learning to not suffer anymore. I'm like, I want some of that. So those awesome. pieces by volunteering, my practice has grown 300 in 12 months, not by design, but because I think I showed up being vulnerable, like your question. Yeah, yeah, and also just looking to be a contribution. It is, and it's, and the the thing as well is is that we're just looking to be a contribution. Our life's always going to work. Like simple, simple as that. It just will. Cause you're going to go to bed at night, you know, whether your business grows or not, you're going to feel really good about yourself. Cause I made a contribution. Oh yeah. And then, then the, the, the likelihood is, is that, you know, the more we give, the more we get, you know, profit follows contribution. It just, there is a rule in life. It just, it just works. So, so, you know, so, so often people are setting up again, their business plan. What can I get? What can I get? What can I get? You know, just, and again, like your business that you described is wow. Sounds like I would have really loved to be a client in your business, right? You know, you know, in working, you know, so it's like, wow. And that's, and that's why businesses work is because they really work for their customers. Well, and I think, you know, I think the CEO really has two jobs, really yep. at the end of the day, we have two jobs. One, right. we remove bottlenecks. That's it. We yes, remove bottlenecks. That's right. Yeah. And the other one is we make it easy for companies to work with us and for employees to work with us. And if we mm -hmm. do those two jobs, which are really hard jobs that you peel back all the layers, then we're going to do great in that model. None of it's about us. It's all about yeah, them. It's always sure. about them. It's like raising kids. My, my, so uh, my stepdaughter is 11. My son mm -hmm. is 30. Right. And <laughs> just now I'm getting the dividends from, from my, my son being a 30 because now I'm getting the stories. Of, you know, it's amazing how much the older he gets, how much smarter I've become. It's crazy how that <laughs> works. And, and I just enjoy his company so much. Now. He's, he's literally my best friend in the world. And we hang out and we communicate. But it wasn't always that way. Mm-hmm. But as a parent, you know, we don't often know the people we impact as you 
know, how we impact our children. He'll tell me stories about during the, you know, when I was crashing the business and how scared he was and how yeah. he didn't think we we're going to make it. And, and now, you know, I'm able to, he wants to start his own business. We have, we have tales from the edge proactively because awesome. I've almost fallen off the cliff. For and sure. I, you want to watch out for these things that you might have landmines, but when you blow off your leg, I'll be there to sew it back up and we will right. keep going. Right. And, and when, when I did the rugged individual approach, I felt very alone. I felt like nobody understood. And I wasn't yeah. showing up authentically. Now by being authentic, it, it makes such a difference. And by being a servant leader to a community, whether again, it's an EO or just any leadership group, yeah. there's so much that we that I receive that's not a paying client or a paying speaking gig from people saying, oh my gosh, I, I can totally relate to where you're coming from. I had those feelings. Yeah. I have those experiences. It, it, when we're seen and when we're heard, there's that validation that that makes us feel more part of the same human race. Yeah, no, for sure. And just for our leaders, EO is Entrepreneurs Organization, the world's leading, largest, and most most successful, in my opinion, uh, entrepreneurial group in the world. And just one of the other things is, I think the world has be- become more open, more transparent and, 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 you know, the number of coaching opportunities and, and has, has, has just boomed and, uh, you know, education and, and, and sharing, I think has really, really changed over the last number of decades. And so I think there is an opportunity to, again, get in and share, but, but to do so, because you can create your own mastermind group and learn from it, but to do so, we really have to tell people what's going on. And, you know, what's going well, what's not going well. And then, and then with that knowledge, people can be of service for you because good chance you're really good in one area. They're really good in something else. And you can, you can, again, it's, it's our blind spots. I think that, yes. that, that catch us like when we just don't know what we don't know, like as a young entrepreneur, I just didn't know a whole bunch of things I know now I won't get caught by that now because I know it. Most and mostly as well, it's 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 not about it's not about what I would do. No, it's about who I'd recruit to help me do that yes. because I wouldn't even I, yeah I wouldn't trust myself to do a bunch of things because I'm not capable like welding uh, or finance <laughs> or a lot of other things you know. So so I'm good at three things. That's about it. So um, <laughs> and that, and thank goodness you are. I mean, yes, really, exactly. You know, it goes to play to our strengths. What do we do well, and and yeah. let's outsource the rest. I mean, mm-hmm. there there's such value in that, and I see so many people now, especially like on social media. Ooh, sign up for my coaching program. I'll teach you to be a coach in, in ten weeks or less for three hundred dollars. And yeah. I'm looking at this this person who maybe has maybe good intentions. We give them the yeah. credit for that, but they yeah. maybe guys like our age and our experience. We you know we've been there, done that, and survived it. Mm-hmm. Not just been there, done that, and here's my cool mansion or my big yacht that I rented for this photo shoot. Yeah, yeah. there's nothing like we're the, part of the job. I think of a good coach is to be the guide of your client's hero's journey. Right, and we don't as coaches we don't do the work for them. We're not consultants. We're helping them along their journey. Ultimately, the way I find it works best is when they figure out what do they really want. They commit to that. And I hold them accountable to it, but it's always what they want, not what I think they should do. It's what they think they should do. And if they if they're clear about it, they can always change their goals. But as entrepreneurs, we don't have bosses yeah. we, by design. Mm-hmm. But when we bring in a coach, someone who's you know hopefully been as successful like you and I have been in, in, in being an entrepreneur, you can't BS us. Like, listen, there's there's I did a lot of crazy things. I, listen, I didn't get six hundred thousand dollars into debt by accident. I was really good at making really bad decisions. Yes. Yeah. So maybe you can learn from the bad decisions I made. Let's focus on margin, not just revenue, you know, simple yeah. things like that. And then when we can help them, the joy I get as a coach is when they have those light bulb moments and something goes off and like, oh gosh, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Or, oh wow. That makes a whole lot more sense. Or I hadn't seen it. Like you talk about the blind spots in the Jahari window piece. Like mm-hmm. I hadn't even seen that, that there was that landmine I was going to step on. Thanks coach for pointing that out. That's the joy in coaching for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see as well, there's just been this enormous transformation for you, like a a personal transformation about you understanding you. So what, what, you know, did you, were there resources, were there courses, were there, or, or, or was that part of a coaching experience for you to understand you better, Todd? Because, you know, this imposter syndrome, you learn so much. And, and, and to me, that is the most important breakthrough for people to have is them understanding that. Yeah. So I think it's a, Great question. Um, so I've had two coaches in my life. I've had a coach in my life since 2006. Mm-hmm. So I'm coming up on my 16, 17 year mark. So I not only have a coach for me as an individual, right. still, 
Um, I have a coach for my relationship with my partner, Jennifer. And I and if you can, if anybody's watching this video, I'm kind of a big baseball nerd. I actually have a swing coach for my game because I've realized, like you said, there's only about three things in life I do pretty well. Yeah. The rest of this stuff I need help with. Yeah. So part of mine was a lot of self-acceptance, which ties into self-compassion. Right. Recognize that my imposter syndrome is still part of my life. And, and the analogy I give is the imposter syndrome in 2006 was driving this, my car. Right. I was in the passenger seat. When I got better, when I got clearer, I switched seats. I'm now right. in the driver's seat. The imposter syndrome sits next to me in the passenger seat. And sometimes it does give me advice. Crazy enough, sometimes it even gives good advice. Like don't put your finger in the light socket advice. That's pretty good advice. But what I really decided to do is for me to be a, a better CEO and now a better coach, I have to continue to invest in myself. Right. It's always in me. And I can change out, you know, going back to baseball, I can change out my glove. I can change out my, my equipment, but I'm still the player. If I get better at it, even with lesser equipment, chances are I'll get better results on the field or in business or in life. So I, like I said, I've used Danny Friedland now, gosh, I'm coming up on seven years. And he has just helped me transform simple things such as um, things happening for me, not to me. Right. Big mindset shift there. Swapping out intention, not expectation. Expectations win lose. Intention is a lot of creative mindset. And because he's a medical doctor who studied the brain his entire career, he can actually put my head in an MRI tube and ask me different questions to get me to fire differently. So for skeptics like me, it proves it out. So it's not just a, a Tony Robbins feel good in five minutes experience. He can actually show you how you can change the way you think. I'm a big fan of Joe Dispenza, changing the way you think. That there's so much power we have because at the end of the day, we're the only person we spend 24, seven, 365 with. So for me, you know, working with Freeland, working with my coaches prior to that and continuing to invest in myself, recognizing that in order for me to have a life by design, I have to be the captain of my internal ship in order to get the external world I want. It, it's been huge. And, and, you know, for me at the end of the day, you know, we we all have the power to create the life by design we want if we're, right. we're we're cognitive and aware of it and we're intentional about it. So, two follow up questions. The number one, we've been talking about the imposter syndrome. So, yeah, just for our leaders, because some may not know what that we're really talking about. So, what is it, and then how's it impacted you? I'll give you two stories. First question. First was my very first EO experience. I mm -hmm. go to an EO event. I hadn't even gotten on a form yet. And I show up. And the first thing my inner voice starts saying to me is, you don't deserve to be here. You don't belong, even though I qualified and I went through the vetting process. Right. So it was it was diminishing my success okay. at, in, in a space of my peers. That was the, how it showed up in public for me. How it showed up in private for me with my business was I felt I had to have all the answers to all the problems all the time for everything. Got it. And that's not really true. And it's of course not, not. It, it's unsustainable. No. Yeah. But it goes, but it goes back to, you know, some of my childhood challenges too. You know, as a kid, I was very self-reliant and that served me well when I started my right. business, that served me well. But when I yeah. wanted to scale, that's when it didn't serve me well anymore. So yeah. it's, and it's, it's, it's basically my inner critic telling me how, how much I sucked, how I wasn't enough. When the reality yeah. was, I wasn't asking myself the right questions. If I asked myself the right questions versus just kicking my own butt, I would have gotten a lot further faster. And now I know that. Yeah. And then the other thing is taking apart intention versus expectation. So, and why that's so much more powerful to be about intentions. Yeah. So, so I teach a process I call the E4 process and all starts with our mindset. It really goes back. It sits above the active learning cycle. And in the active learning cycle, first thing is to recognize what is our purpose? Why are mm -hmm. we doing this? Why are we doing this business? Why are we doing this, this relationship? Why are we doing this? And we figure that piece out. Then we tie into what's now working. So for me, being $600,000 in debt wasn't not working. working. Yeah. yeah, kind of self-evident. Well, I had to have an intention, not an expectation about how I was going to get out of that debt. Because if I just said, I'm going to get out of debt by selling more, which a lot of people will say, or you know, uh, increasing prices to get more margin, that's a way to do it. But what if both of those didn't work? I've shot both bullets in my gun. Well, I took an intentional approach and I had an intention of someday, somehow I'm going to get out of debt. And I tacked it into the Stockdale paradox from Jim Collins, good to great. First right. thing my coach had me read was read this book and don't, don't talk to me until you're done. Right. Okay. And when in the, in the Stockdale paradox, I confronted my brutal reality. I'm 600K in debt. And I have to have an unwavering faith that I will get out of this. And this could be the defining moment of my career. And I just kept repeating that over and over and over again. So going back to what wasn't working for me, being 600K in debt, 
being intentional, not expectational was I open up the creative part of my brain, start working with freedom. I tell him that story. He's like, oh my gosh, absolutely. You move from fight or flight into the creative part of your, you literally showed me on a diagram of my brain where I went from being in fight or flight in my you know, reptile brain to being in my creative part of my brain. Right. Then I created a strategy around that intention. And then I did massive iteration around it and tried a bunch of different things. And because I got rid of all the naysayers, I brought all these young people who didn't know any better, all these rookies and they're, right. you know, good people. Like I said, yeah, well, you know what? We're going to have a fail forward award every week. And who has the most failures and gets the most no's is actually the winner. Yeah. Like, huh? Okay. And that's where we learned. And I had ultimately the biggest change I had to make was that when a mistake happened and when a failure happened, it wasn't forever. Failure yeah. wasn't forever. And it was a learning opportunity, not a, a, a criticism and not a, not a mistake is how I was looking at the win-lose. Now, when I saw failure as part of the intentional process, that's where we able to, that's why I got to think 5,000 six times because we approached it from a very different perspective. We got out of debt because we saw multiple ways to get more dollars in the door, increase our margins. We actually build out more margin on less revenue and got, that's how we got out of debt. Right. For sure, for sure. No, and and uh, um, well, and there's there's all, there's a whole bunch of those things. But when when we're about expectation, there's there's a real limit in our thinking. Intention mm-hmm. is there's an openness, there's a creativity, there's a vibrance, and 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 there's a lot more freedom. And you're really living into your future, right? Like like in and seeing that future as as positive and successful, but you're not living into it like. If you try to do that in the block down way that you were living in the imposter syndrome, it wouldn't have worked. Right. Because again, you 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 wouldn't have been telling your truth. You would have you would have had a hard time just staying there too. It doesn't work. Yeah, it, because I think what it would have done is it would have fed deeper into my imposter syndrome. Like, okay, you tried that, you idiot, it didn't work. Well, don't you? Yeah. And it just would have spiraled and spiraled and spiraled versus okay, we tried that, it didn't work. Yeah. What did we learn from it? Let's ask. So part of what I've really learned is it, it, it requires massive curiosity about something you can take a look at just about anything i believe something that doesn't work yeah you can pick apart what did work within maybe the construct of what didn't work and we just kept when we would do that like okay well what didn't work well what didn't work first thing of all was we were in the beginning of a recession we just didn't know it yet staffing companies are the very first leading indicators economically of a recession on the horizon i didn't know that one of my one of my good friends is uh, runs a has been in the staffing business forever in my forum and and he's he's our he's our indicator what what's yes. what's happening you know and he tells us and I know we know it and we've been we've been with him for twenty six years so yeah yeah wow yeah so <laughs> I didn't know that. I'm like okay yeah. so I'm talking to my coaches well we're a leading indicator so this doesn't surprise me mm-hmm. <sighs> okay so I don't suck okay good mm-hmm. hey, I don't want anybody listening to think like I was able to turn all this around in my head overnight it took yeah. years to change my stinking thinking yeah. but it did so now everything I run into you know it, there's there's a opportunity within the tragedy. Mm-hmm. Tell you a quick story. So my coach, Danny Freeland, is, is anybody who knows of him will know this part to be true. I know he does a lot of work within a lot of um, EO and YPO communities. In November of 2020, he was diagnosed with stage four brain cancer. Oh, wow. And I remember he called me two days after he got the diagnosis and he was chipper. Like I was, I was devastated. I mean, he's one of my, my, he's one of my tribe. He's one of my mm-hmm. foxhole friends. Like right. I used to kid him. Like, like I got, you're never going to fire me because I'm not going to let you. Like I, yeah. I Maybe a pain in the butt, but you're not going to ever fire me. And he's telling me about how much time he thinks he has. And he had, he was figuring 18 to 24 months. Right. I mean, it, it was stage four. It's not like there's, and he goes, I have decided that this cancer is happening for me, not to me. And I'm like, tell me more because I need to, I want to learn from this. Yeah. And he decides that he's going to make this the defining moment of his life. And he's going to help his family. He's going to mm-hmm. create a whole YouTube channel. He calls it his Netflix series. So every day he puts a new video on there. His wife puts on a video. His boys, his, he has two sons, puts on videos. And he's teaching us as a community of global leaders how to, to process tragedy, how to process something that happened and how he's decided it's not happening for him, but to him. Yeah. And he's, in some respects, he's really teaching us how to die. Yeah. What a gift. I mean, he's just an amazing heart-centered leader i know he does a lot of work with the conscious capitalism guys and the whole food guys and and, and i'm just blessed that he's happens to be my, my coach too right yeah and I'm like oh my gosh and he's teaching all of these things because at the end of the day and he, and he always says this to me he goes you're part of my legacy yeah you're you know I, i'm the first one of his clients to actually get like deep into the coaching space you're, you're part of my tree love yeah it. yeah he goes and i'm not going to be here for yeah. 
And you, yeah. can go, you can watch a video anytime. It's part of my legacy. Yeah. The reality is in business, there's going to be tough days. In families, there's going to be tough days. And if someone can take something like cancer and decide that it's happening for them, not to them, then we can all use that as a learning platform to pivot out of any difficult situation that happens to us. Yeah. And maybe not pivot, like meaning like we're all going to die. Like bad stuff is going to happen to us. And that's, that is, you take it off the table. So you're, you, you know, but we're still a hundred percent responsible. So he's taking right. the responsibility and saying, I'm going to make it the defining moment of his life. And right. clearly like that's the choice. And, and, and so, you know, he's being a role model for his kids and making it more powerful for his partner, uh, you know, as uh, you know, cause he, he, again, he's going to die. That's that, that choice has been taken away and, and, uh, uh, for his peers and his friends and his, you know, so what, what an amazing story. Thanks for sharing. It certainly warms, warms me tremendously. And, um, it really goes down to, he wants to live his best life now. Cause he, yeah, he's like, I, I can't, I can't plan a vacation for four years. I want to plan, mm -hmm. I have to live my best life now. And what does that mean to me? You know, mm -hmm. I talk about, it and they open the book, um, the name of my practice is Extraordinary Advisors. And I reclaim the word extraordinary. Because I think between the word extraordinary and the word awesome, it's so overused and so, so like reduced in its significance. And, and he, he's so awesome. I love Danny. He goes like, I've decided I'm going to follow your lead and I'm going to create an extraordinary life in the time I have left, which is a very singular experience. Right. An extraordinary life for him. He's like, he'll open a video when he goes like, I'm at, uh, he lives in San Diego. He goes, I'm at the beach. I just went surfing. It's an extraordinary day. He goes, I'm heading to the doctor to get chemo treatment. It's an extraordinary day. I'm like, you're just inspiring <laughs> the daylights out of me, my friend, because those are really, but what they are, Chris, is they're all intentional conversations in the moment to live his best life today. Because if you think about it, the reality is most, none of us really know what tomorrow holds. Of and, you know, going back to how did I change my mindset? It was just, it just dawned on me. So my first coach was a, a division one college golfer. Okay. And he wasn't the greatest driver and he wasn't greatest putter, but what he was, he was incredibly mentally disciplined. And here's what made him disciplined. This is the shot I have, the one I'm going to hit, not the one I just duffed and not the putt I'm going to get. This is the shot I have. And we play the shot we have to the very best mm -hmm. of our ability. And we put the last shot behind us so we don't think about the next shot in front of us. And when you take that, you combine it with being intentional and creating the best moment right now. You know, that's why I love it. Like, I'm, I'm so happy to be with you here today. It feeds into my improving lives. Hopefully yeah. something we've said is it will improve someone's life yeah. that we may never meet. And that's okay. It's not about the pat on the back. It's about the impact we can make. Yeah. And, and I, I learned it from the people who've coached me. Yeah, no, well, for, for sure, for sure. And, and frankly, you know, whether the, the podcast, uh, went out and got downloaded a whole bunch or not, uh, I'm, I'm thankful we're having this conversation. So, so thank you, Todd, <laughs> this is awesome. So if someone wanted to do what you do, you know, what key habits would they want to steal from you? Oh gosh. I, th I think the first thing is to approach every problem with massive curiosity. It, it's, I've never seen it, whether it's an employee who has an issue, a client who has an issue, a family member, a ch you know, a, a child who has an issue. If we approach it with massive curiosity and not go into it thinking we know the answer, and I used to be really good, like, oh, I know the answer. I was yeah. wrong 100% of the time. <laughs> when we help people be seen and be heard, whether they're, again, part of our team, yeah. our clients, or whomever, we're giving them a massive gift, especially in a world where uh, coming out of COVID, where there's a lot of disconnect within the universe. So approach it with massive curiosity and, and try to figure out what the root causes in, in any kind of problem solving. I, I literally... I do this all day, every day, and it is the most joyous work I've ever done. When I've got a leader who's wrapped up in chaos and crisis, and they think it's a business issue, and we talk, we figure out it's actually has nothing to do with their business. It has to do with how they look at it. Has to do with their imposter syndrome. It has to do with yeah. their view of themselves. I had a leader who wanted to sell a business, couldn't come up with a price. Why? Well, I started the business for nothing. I said, "Well, what do you think it's worth now? Give or take, I don't five million dollars." I'm like. Okay, that's nothing to sneeze at. Why don't you just ask for $5 million? I can't. Let's stay there for a minute. Why can't yeah. you? And we just yeah. walked it down into the basement of what was holding her back. Right. It goes into, she couldn't ask for it because she doesn't think she's worth it. And it goes back exactly. to programming and things like that. So, so as leaders, I think if anybody takes one thing away from the conversation, approach everything with massive curiosity. It's never, never about what we think it is. And, and, and I think secondly, when we hold somebody accountable, I know a lot of leaders struggle with holding people accountable. 
They mm-hmm. think they're being mean, but they think they're being unkind. When I hold an employee accountable, hold a teammate accountable to something we've all agreed upon, that the, the business, the entity, the third party in the room needs, then we're actually honoring our commitments to a greater good, a greater cause. And, and once I'm able to get leaders to understand that you're not being micromanager, you're not being a bully, you're not being mean when you say, hey, Chris, you, you know, you, you, the deadline was Friday, it's now Monday. You didn't meet the deadline. Can you, let's approach it with curiosity. Chris, can you tell me why you didn't hit it? Sure. And you get them talking. We often will find out that it's not that they didn't hit it because they're incompetent, but maybe something came up or we, and they're seen and heard. And what we find is those employees become more loyal, more reliable, more to, more people to clear that ick out of their head and get into the uncomfortable conversation. Leaders have to be okay with being uncomfortable. And most of them aren't. And the, I teach this methodology of, of ask a question and stop talking. Yes, for so sure. So they can get comfortable being uncomfortable. Because we want to fill in that, that air. We want to fill in that space. We want to crack a joke. We want to rescue someone. Let it sit. Let them be uncomfortable. Realize you will get them out of it. So, you know, it, that's all about being so many people get worried about being a good manager when I really would challenge them. How do you become a better leader? Yes. Yes. I, I so agree. And, and, you know, again, we, we always love to love to ask, so where else is this showing up in your life? You know, just, just so that that business problem, oh, that's happening in this relationship and that's happening here so that, so that they're actually seeing that the cause of all their, 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 their businesses themselves. And so that, mm-hmm. you know, taking ownership and then, okay, if I change this here, you know, again, if, if I'm not integrity, if I'm not in integrity with my relationship, with my partner, for instance, mm-hmm. right. And, and mm-hmm. my, my, my children or my in, in at home, how can I be in integrity at my, at my office? And, 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 and so it's, it's, it's a, you know, I, I, you know, I, I commented on this before, but it just stood out. It's like somebody on LinkedIn said, Hey, I've never seen somebody who's successful, not bring the shopping cart back at the shopping store. Yeah. You know, it's just like, you just go, yeah, like th- those things are just, are just obvious, you know, just that's, that's unacceptable behavior to somebody who's got something going on. Yeah. I, uh, I was working with a leader one time they're, you walk in, they, they're following the core values. They have the core values listed on the wall and we're all about this and this. And one of them was honesty and integrity. We're all about honesty. And I thought that was really interesting because, you know, I, this leader was, was married at the time. And we had been out a couple of times socially and I met his wife, a lovely person. And then I happened to run into him someplace with someone who wasn't his wife. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I pulled him aside. I said, I, I am not, I am not here to judge anybody. I simply have a question for you. I said, you, you espoused having honesty and integrity. Can you explain to me how your current behavior tonight ties into that core value? No, no, no judgment. I just it's want just to better understand you. Yeah. He's no longer a client because I couldn't work with somebody who's so far out of alignment. Yeah. And that's what I think good core values do, you know, whether it's coaching or whether it's internal, we can make decisions on them. But like you said, if we're out of alignment with our, our, our public, you know, our, our employees, but also, you know, if everything looks all great in our exterior world at, at, at the, uh, at the office and everything's a mess at home, well, where are you there's not showing up? Because there's something <laughs> going on there. Now, certainly we can have challenges and we do have, we challenges. always do. No oh one God, does. I still have yes, challenges. Absolutely. You know? But, you know, we're all going to have problems, right? I always tell my clients, like, money problems. Money problems are great. I love talking about money problems because money problems, they're solvable. Money Mm -hmm. problems are always solvable. I don't have enough money. Okay, great. Well, we're going to work on that. But, you know, when you get more money, so, Chris, we're going to fix your money problem. When we fix your money problem, you know what you're going to have? You're going to have a different money problem. Right. don't have enough money. Now I got to pay too much taxes. Which money problem would you rather have? Let's start elevating your problems. But if you're out of alignment, you're out of center with self or with core values, it's really hard to do. Absolutely. Um, so, so Todd, I, I, we've got a final question, but before that, is there anything you'd like to share with our group or anything else of real value for our amazing leaders listening here? And, and I know they're already taking lots from our conversation. Well, I'd like to offer them something. I mean, I've had such a great time on our, our conversation today. You know, if anybody goes to my website, Extraordinary Advisors, download a copy of the, ch- of the first chapter of my book for free. It's my awesome. gift to you for, for listening to, to our show today. And if someone wants to have a conversation with that, email me. I, I, like I mentioned, I talked to 42 CEOs in 67 days. Yeah, I did it because that's my, it, it really does feel good. It, it yeah. does feed my why. So anybody who wants to reach out, please mention, just mention me, you heard me on Chris's show, but please check out the book, get, get your free chapter. 
and and share that with people in your community because I think while while the book talks about creating uh, getting going from suck to success for entrepreneurship, the methodologies I've seen work with athletes that I've worked with, with with kids in school who've lost maybe their their prom or their graduation ceremony yeah. or their their sports season. They they're saying, I, "Man, I got a lot of sucking going on here." Yeah. There's a lot of universal things, so it it would it would be I think beneficial to your community, and, and I'd like to offer that to you. Well, hey, that's so fantastic, Todd, and speaks to who you are about just wanting to do more. So um, uh, the final question, when you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind? So when I think of a leader of tomorrow, I think they have to be very good at communicating. Mm-hmm. Not just communicating, I'm going to pass on my vision to you. I think one thing that is really going to be a hallmark for the foreseeable future is a leader who can create psychological safety within the team yeah. and that psychological safety of allowing them to be seen and heard, allowing them to have a, a voice in the room, not necessarily a decision in the room, but a voice in the room and creating a space where the tribe contributes, not just the alpha contributes. I, I think if you want to, you want to stand out in a crowded space, there are still, there's still more jobs than there are people for them right now. And if you are competing yeah. You know, it just came out like two days ago, like Costco of all places has raised their wage like 16 or 70 bucks an hour here, here in, in the U.S. You're, you're not just you're not just competing with your, your local manufacturer, or your local IT or your local re- restaurant. You're competing with everybody. It's a global battle for talent. And if you want to stand out, you create psychological safety in the workplace. Your best group of recruiters are going to be your current employees and they're going to want their friends to work there because they're going to feel like they're contributing. They're part of a valuable team and they're valued as human beings. I, I know that may sound a little foo-foo to some people, and that's okay. At the end of the day, every problem in business is a people problem. You know, he or she who has the best people on the team are going to win. Absolutely. No, I can't can't agree more. And and you know, uh, I think as a as a world, we're just becoming more and more aware of of psychological safety and where it all happens. And that there, you know, um, you know, decades ago, it was okay to do things that no, that's not okay. It was never okay. Right. But. Um, you know, it's more and more clear about the type of world we want to live in, where it's, you know, first of all, we want psychological safety, but we want safety for all people, no matter what background, no matter who they are, you know, and, and that's something that's just it, what we need from our leaders, you know, for standing sure. up, you know, so I just, I just love that. Uh, uh, so, so Todd, you've just been uh, just an amazing contributor to our show. I'm so, uh, so pleased. And uh, uh, it's, again, I, uh, I, I thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart for, for being with us on the Leaders of Tomorrow today. Chris, thank you for the opportunity. It's been a great conversation. I appreciate you for having me on. Uh, cheers. Have a great day. Bye-bye. You too. Hey, leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now, you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down the path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.